True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I'm your host, Justin Fraser, here with Alex Felice. Welcome back to the show, buddy. What up? Very excited to be here. Always love to hang out with you, talk to you, talk about real estate. That's what we're going to do today. Talk about real estate. That's why we're here. Uh, Alex, if you don't know, was on an earlier episode, one of my first episodes of this show. So if you missed his first episode, go back and listen to that. That was a good one. That's over a year ago, Alex, where we had you at PodMax. And uh, now you're back. Alex and I, you know, I was thinking this morning in preparation for this, you are probably the out-of-town investor I've seen more since the pandemic started than anybody else. Actually, I know that's true. Because even in a pandemic, we figured out a way to uh, to see each other like every other month at this point, all, all kinds of reasons. So good to see you here too. I, I'm hard to get rid of. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I'm hard to get rid of. I'm trying to shake you. Trying to shake it for you a want while. that in an investor. You want somebody who's sticky. You don't want somebody who's fly by night. You want somebody that's like, okay, well, he's gonna be there for damn certain. He is, he is, and you are. That is absolutely true. Um, but you were helpful with us all through the closing process on Diamond Ridge last summer, doing some awesome video work for us. Um, and then of course, every time we come to Fayetteville, we usually get to to catch up and and even saw you in Charlotte uh, not too long ago. So Whenever we're in North Carolina, it seems like we get to hang out. It's pretty cool. I am the, uh, I got like three or four other people that are like, dude, I, I need the multifamily people that are like, I need you to stay in North Carolina and, and be my boots in the ground. And so if, uh, for my listeners who are in North Carolina, want to do business in North Carolina, reach out to me. I am everywhere. I got a car and everything I can get around. <laughs> I, uh, I like, you. I love, I love, I love multifamily and I love, um, making friends in this community. So. You know, you have a persona, I think, of, uh, you know, being very blunt and, and you know, maybe a little harsh or rough around the edges, but you're a true softy on the inside and and I would say dependable, good friend. I would say we've become pretty good friends over the last uh, year or so as we've been getting to, to work together. So don't believe the hype. Alex is a pretty great guy. Don't listen to what everyone else is saying about him. I'll take that salt <laughs> and I'll uh, and I'll be happy with it. <laughs> I can only I like say that. Tell people, I say that with love. I like to tell people I'm, I'm rough around the edges and uh, kind of rough in the middle too. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. That works. <laughs> that works. So Alex, let's uh, let's jump in because I know you've got some updates for us on your, your property that you talked to us about last time. Tell us what's happening there. Tell us uh, a little bit more about, about Alex and, and what you've been up to the last year or so. I closed that property in June of 2019 and it was difficult for me because I had only bought single families before that. And so for people making the jump, it is, uh, there's a common saying that's like, oh, if you're doing one deal, it's just one deal. Whether it's a single family or a 28 unit, it's the same thing. And uh, I'm here to report that that is false. I do not believe that to be the case at all whatsoever. There are some, there are some overlap and like, hey, look, if you're going to be stressed, you might as well be stressed about 28, four units at a time rather than one at a time. But uh, in terms of like simplicity, no, I think that the, uh, the the bigger deals definitely scale in complexity. And for me, a little bit in stress and um, certainly in responsibility because now it's not my money. Now it's everybody else's money. So 
Uh, that's a that's a great but, point, uh, and I agree. Uh, you know, a lot of people, like you said, there's a perception out there that it's it's not as hard, and and but that's why a lot of people are getting into multifamilies. I'm going to do all the work. That's why I got into it. I'm going to do all do all this work to find a single family that might net me 400 bucks a month. Why don't I just go find a a big multifamily and and make a little more money on it? I love, look, it's highly scalable in terms of efficiency of capital, efficiency of resources. The multifamily is highly scalable. So yeah, you do one deal, you get a lot of uh, benefit, but to say that one deal is just one deal and that, you know, it's not any harder, I believe is false. I believe that they are, they are quite a bit more harder to do a big, a big deal. Lending, legal, uh, capital, uh, and it's worth it. I'm not saying it's not worth it. It's hundred percent worth it because the efficiency of money is way better. Um, and the, you know, you can get bigger, right? Single family. It's like, dude, you can only get, you're only doing one. Yeah. You can't, you can't do it's one by nature. So, um, but all that said, when I got done with my 24 unit, uh, I was, I came on this show and I wrote at the time, I think I wrote 3,500, uh, 3,500 word blog on my website and this show and probably some others. And all I did was basically externally publicly vent or my introspection about my mistakes, yep. which from a, uh, branding aspect is probably not ideal, but that's me. I, uh, I do what I do. Yeah. So and then, so it, I, I made some mistakes. I undercapitalized. That was the big one. I undercapitalized. I needed $280,000 to close the deal. And I think I had 290 mistakes. So that's just to get the deal done, not coming in with reserves, extra capital to run projects or anything else. Yeah, we didn't, we were going to do big CapEx. So we're like, it'll be fine. The cash flow day one, blah, 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 bro. What a, that's, doesn't that sound stupid? It sounded stupid. It sounds so <laughs> stupid now. It sounds so stupid. Don't do that. Don't do that. You're if so, I had, you have the blinders on though, right? Because you're you're just thinking about closing the deal, right? And that's that's really the message of the show is that it, it there's so much more beyond the day of closing. Yeah. I mean, the deals are stressful. You don't know the order of like how things are going to roll out. It's a new process. It's You got other people like asking you and they want you to be confident about what's going to happen. And there's a lot of moving parts. And, you know, it's like the first time you jump out of an airplane. It's just like, it's just blank. I don't remember what happened blank. Uh, it'll slow down as you do more. But that first time, it's just, right? Anytime yeah. you do something first time that's exhilarating, it's just a blur. So we get done, really. We closed it. And then the first month, it's like, hey, a bunch of people didn't pay and we have no money. And it's like, somebody moved out. We don't have any money to renovate that unit. And it's just turned into this. I was, I was, I was stuck. I was stuck between, um, I didn't have the money to reinvest to make the tenants go up. And so uh, tenant quality, and or kick the tenants out. And so I ended up grinding out lousy tenants that I couldn't afford to kick out. All this could have been avoided if I had raised an extra $40,000, kicked a bunch of people out, renovated the units a little bit. They didn't need much, a little bit, held on to vacancy until I found my tenants, put them in there. I could have, anyways, undercapitalization, don't do it. So I kind of, um, I kind of had a tough year, to be honest. I had a tough year. I wrote another review on my, my first year on my blog, another 3000 words. So if you want to know what I'm doing, I got a ton of content that's very thorough about the mistakes and how I fix them. But at, at that point, I was ready to go. That? Where can they get that? Brokeisachoice.com. There you go. Brokeisachoice.com. Broke is a choice, yourchoice.com. Um, and then so, but about for about a year, I felt confident. So I went off and looked for another one. And I ran into a guy named uh, Justin Fraser at uh, Winston-Salem. <laughs> this, this, uh, this guy. And he's got a, he's got an assistant named Matt Faircloth that <laughs> was also there. <laughs> and they, uh, they linked me up with a local broker and a broker, uh, 
one of the things that I did right on the next deal was I had a pinpoint, I had a pinpoint exactly what I wanted for my next deal. I, I had a, um, a specific deal criteria, specific deal criteria. You know, somebody comes to me and they're like, I want to buy a deal maybe between t- t- uh, 10 and a hundred units. And I'm like, you don't know what you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. You're, those are basically two different asset classes. You're out of your mind. And then think about all the deals you're gonna have to underwrite. No. So I had a specific deal criteria, 50 units, three to 4 million, six to seven cap, average market rents, 900 to a thousand. C class, right? And Guess geographic what? location. And it was, I wanted it in Fayetteville because that's where, I, that's where I, I invest. He shows up with that exact deal. He showed up with that exact deal. I was like, hey, guess what? The universe is telling me something. Yeah. Close. Took me a long time because I'm still, you know, an idiot. Uh, but we raised, bro, the first time I raised $280,000 for the 24 unit and I struggled to get 280. This time I raised 1.4 million. I did it basically on my own. My partners helped out a little bit. I think they raised 200 grand. I raised 1.2 on my own. I did it in 30 days. Uh, I stressed about it, but I did it. Now uh, we're coming up on, we closed December 30th. We're coming up on the end of March. I'm going to start paying out investors. The property is running good. Everything I learned from that 24 unit, I applied to the 52 unit. Not to say that I didn't make mistakes, but I have a, t- I have a couple of hundred grand in the bank now instead of no grand. That's a worst case scenario. Awesome. I give it back to them, but it's better right. to have more than enough than to not have enough. Yep. We got way better debt because as you go bigger, you can, um, uh, risk actually decreases. Risk actually decreases on a 50 unit, 52 unit that's established the, with, with a long history. The banks are like, that thing's going to stay rented. It's been rented. The, there's obviously demand. It's in a good location. That thing's going to be rented. So we'll give you a better loan. So risk uh, scales downward with uh, the size of the property and the condition. And you know, there's other factors. Yep. Uh, we did do a syndication this time. So we did a 506B. Uh, I used an email list from my website that I had been just building for no reason, thinking one day all these people are going to need to do some business with me. That helped. And um, boom, we got six We got six units already renovated. We were only supposed to do three in the first unit. They're already coming in at higher than our projections. Love it. Love it. All right. Okay. So what? let's talk about some of the lessons learned from the first to the second. You go from 24 to how large is this? 52? 52. 52 units. So you're more than doubling up in size, more than double the capital raise. Um, what changed? Um, just your thought process, your mindset. You already said, you already told us that you knew you needed more capital, but what else happened from, from that first to the second deal that gave you the confidence to take on a deal of this size? Um, a lot of big things, a lot of small things. We can, you know, that's a, we could talk for hours about it. Let's see. I had good deal criteria. So that actually made me feel more confident that I knew what I wanted. I knew what I wanted and I knew why I wanted that. And then when it came, I knew it made me more confident to close. Cause it's like, Hey, look, this is what I planned. This isn't just like, Oh, I've wanted a 52 unit and a, and a, a 160 showed up and I'll just go after whatever. It's right. Like, no, I planned it. And then I, I moved forward on that plan. You know, I, I was okay to, to move around a little bit. You don't want to build yourself a prison, but have, having an idea of what you want, not just what you want, but why you want that. That made a big, big difference for me. Second one was uh, I tagged in a partner. I tagged in a guy that I probably didn't even need to tag in. Uh, he didn't cost that. We had to pay him a little equity. He raised a little bit of money. I, I hoped he, had ra- he would have raised more, but he helped us, um, he helped us get the Freddie Mac debt. So mm. that alone was worth something. He gave me confidence that he's like, look, you're not, I'm not going to let you, we're going to close the deal. 
he had done a bunch. Um, so asking for help on the first one is something I was like, well, first, there wasn't enough money to go around. And two, I wanted to do it myself. Part of that is ego. Part of that is, I think you learn the most when you make mistakes. That was fine when I had four partners, basically me and my partner and three other people that we were passive partners. When I have 30, there's not that much room for mistakes. Right. You have to, you have to take the responsibility to pay your people. Uh, there's nothing more serious. There's Absolutely. nothing more important than paying your investors. So yeah. uh, I tagged in a partner that helped me tremendously, even though to be fair, uh, and I love him to pieces, he didn't do that much. I could have done it without him, but. It, if you could do that differently, um, would you change expectations up front? Do you think that you misaligned when you're saying they didn't do that much? Or do you think that you you maybe didn't need them? But it, I will say if they helped you qualify for a loan, then, then that alone is is worth something. He helped me qualify for the 52, uh, for the Freddie Mac debt. And that's worth, that's worth it. A hundred percent. I'm not saying, yep. I'm not saying this from a position of re regret. Uh, I'm glad okay. he's on the team. Uh, he helped us set up the, the back end system. Now that we use for our investor portal, uh, he's been a tremendous help. If not, most of it was just giving me confidence to know that I have somebody that can split the stress um, and split a little bit of the workload. If I could do it again, I'd still bring him on because like you say, the Fed, may, the Freddie Mac debt was worth it, um, was worth it alone. In, in fact, uh, I wanted, I had expected him to do a little more, but the honest truth is because he had other stuff going on and really couldn't make this his main focus, it forced me to step up instead of relying on him, which okay. was better for Alex. That was better for Alex. I dug in deep and I was like, okay, how are we going to raise this money, bro? This is not, nobody's showing up. Nobody's showing up running with a bag of money looking to hand it to me. I have to go mm -hmm. get it. And so I kind of, to, to your last, to the, the last point I want to make about raising money, um, I never really understood what it meant to raise money year round. Um, and I'm still not good at it, but that's the, that's the process that I'm going to implement going forward. And I take my social media a lot more seriously in these blog, in these podcasts, a lot more serious now, Lee, now, where it's like, Hey, I'm going to go buy another one of these deals. It's going to be a hundred to 120 units. We're probably going to buy it in Fayetteville or somewhere in um, middle um, North Carolina, maybe in Northern South Carolina. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to collect email addresses a little more de deliberately and we're going to keep people in, we're going to do more deal analysis. We're going to be having the machine going throughout the year. And then when it comes time to close, it'll be uh, a lot more aggressive, but for the yep. most part, yeah. Keeping people in the loop about what you want, uh, what you're going to need, raising money. That's a year long process. Well, you know, you mentioned that you raised $1.2 million fairly quickly. Um, as you say, real estate is easy, right? So tell us, easy. <laughs> but how, um, what tips would you give, you know, between struggling for that first raise in your first project to now this 1.2 million raise that you did on your, on your own, like what changed in the way you were building this list or the content you were putting out, you know, how, how could someone, let's rephrase it. If, if someone listening here has maybe done their first deal and is looking to, to raise a million dollars on the next deal, what advice can you give them to, to do that? So I can't, I'll tell you my process. I don't know what's best. I don't know what works for everybody. I'll just tell you what sure. I did. Um, my, my social media strategy or my branding marketing strategy is to, is radical transparency. That's my, that's my process. I don't do canned emails and things like this. I say, Hey, look, this is what I just did. This is what I did wrong which a lot of people like to hear, but they don't want to say. Mm -hmm. So I'm very comfortable with saying, hey, look, these are all, look how stupid I am, right? I won't do that again. 
but this is what happened. So I made a lot of content about what I did wrong and then how I'm going to fix that and then what my plans are next. So for me, it's kind of like manifest destiny. I go on the internet and I tell people what's about to happen. I'm going to buy 120 units next. Well, before it was like, I'm going to buy a 52 unit yet next. And you just kind of like remind people and people, they have short memories, but, uh, but things compound when you say them over and over again. That's why catchphrases and that's why politics works and, and yeah. buzz, buzz, buzzwords, right? It's like, we don't want nuance. We just want, I'm going to buy another multifamily. I'm a multifamily buyer. I'm going to buy 120 unit in Fayetteville. I'm going to buy a multifamily next, next year. And so you keep, you burn that into people's heads. And then um, when the time comes, um, they're not, they're not surprised. They kind of have this idea. Oh yeah. I heard you were going to do that. Let's, well, I'm interested. So the other part of that is it's all good. Uh, the other part of that is uh, credibility. If you've never done one of these things and you want to go off and buy hundred and 200 units, it's like, you know, it's hard, especially I used to work in banking. So I look at that. And I'm like, you want to take $20 million and you've never done this before. How about, how about no, how about you go start off with something a little more manageable. So people who have never done this, that if all they want to do is raise money, uh, I don't have a good, I don't, I know people that do that. They, uh, the hired guns of capital, capital, right. uh, acquisition. Right. I know, I know people that do that and, uh, you know what they do? They go after, uh, doctors and dentists, uh, and they, they go a whole different angle than me. So I consider myself to be an operator, not just a capital raise guy. So for me, my approach is like, here, this is what I'm doing. This is why it works. This is how much money it makes. This is the lessons. This is the, this is multifamily, not just raising money, not just a good investment. This is like how to actually run these properties. And so for me, I think that's, that's my strategy. Um, if for somebody who was just trying to go out there and look for, to raise money, then attach yourself to a good operator or a couple of good operators and then build content around why those properties are going so well. But I just made a post on YouTube today about how I raise money for flips uh, and multifamily. And the gist for me is, you know, post loud, post often, post loud, post often. Um, tell people what you have going on and what you're going to do. Be human authentic, not just like, don't you want to make money on your investments? Like blanket, be like, no, dude, this is what I'm doing and why. As a human, like I need to take yeah. care of my family, the cash flow, I need to get out of my job, whatever the case. Like this has got a purpose to it beyond just, oh, you know, the stock market's rigged. Don't you want a better, different investment? It's like that's not that's not the approach I would recommend. I love it. And, uh, I love it. And and you are yeah. you are one probably the most real person on my my feed. I would say you know you'll if you're if you woke up and you're having a bad morning, you're gonna tell everyone about it. Right. And, and that's great. I mean, you're, you uh, certainly have a point of view and you express it and uh, people respond and, and it creates conversation and, and you are not at all inauthentic. And so I will say that. And so people, there, there's no sort of fakeness or posturing or um, story that you're trying to tell. You're just telling your story as it happens. I think social media, I think what happened with social media, if we can kind of make a little tangent about this, sure. Um, cause authentic is what everybody's kind of, I hear this term all the time. I made it in my post today, my video. It's like, I think people are clamoring for this authentic. What I think, and I'm, and I don't know why this is such a problem because people are authentic. Like, I don't know why people go on social media and then do something beyond besides what they actually are. And what I think happened is somewhere along the way, the social media thing, that's basically brand new. We all got a hold of it and pretty quickly people realized you can use this for business. And so then what they did was they all went and they used the old way the dying way of doing business, which is corporate marketing. And so everybody goes on Facebook and they do corporate marketing. And because that's what it feels like you're supposed to do. 
Mm-hmm. I have this big tool now. I'll get a, I'll get a group. I'll get a brand and I'll promote the brand. I don't do that. What I think is going to happen with social media is it's going to be highly social. I think branding as an, as an individual is going to become more valuable. And so for me, I don't really rely on a brand or a corporate message. It's like, bro, this is me. And, um, and that seems, I don't know if it works for everybody. It seems to work for me. I, I think yeah. it's, I think it's highly valuable. Go back and listen to that again. Cause, uh, and check out Alex's posts online because it's absolutely true. Um, let's, let's dig in on this 52 unit. I think I would love to hear some, some of the details, you know, you already mentioned that you're, you're outperforming some expectations, but t- take us through, you know, that the closing and, and what you learned as, as you got into it and, and just tell us, tell us a little bit about it. I got this property. We looked at the uh, T12. The first thing I noticed was that they had a 56% expense ratio. That was it. That's how I knew it was a deal. It took me five minutes. I said, they had a 56% expense ratio. What about that? I know it tells being, you it's a deal. Because I have a, my first deal, my 24 unit, which is uh, a lower quality product in a worse part of town with it's all single bedrooms. So there's less upside that runs at a 45% expense ratio. Okay. So I said they're overpaying. Mm-hmm. And so we started digging into the financials to see where and how, and it turns out they were hiring a property manager. They were paying 10%, but then they were also paying somebody a full-time salary to be on site. Wow. So they're paying the whole 11% spread from was in that manager. So I said, okay, I'm going to get my, my local guy. I'm going to get him to buy into this deal, which he did. He's going to manage it for the flat 10% like he normally does. And we're going to drop this thing down to a 46% expense ratio day one. Wow. And I don't have, I don't have my first 90 day rolling average yet, but that, you know, in the beginning, it's hard to tell what the numbers are, but I believe that that will be the case. The second thing we noticed was that the average rents were 650. Well, uh, it's all two bedroom, three bedroom mix. Well, the two bedrooms should be at 750 and the three bedrooms should be at 850. So we're hoping to raise the rents by a hundred to $125 right out of the gate. Um, I mean, I shouldn't say right out of the gate, but th- we, we see the opportunity. And so yeah. we're going to slowly reno- renovate these units. And then, um, you know, for, for $2,000, we can raise the rent to 150 bucks. Um, Okay. So what are you, what Somewhere are you doing there. for that $2,000? Well, some of them need less. Some of them really need it. Um, you know, we can go unit by unit, but there's some problems with the- In um, general, like what are you seeing? What are you putting on average? Are you putting doing new floors, appliances, counters, cabinets? What, what's what's the plan for that? $2, yeah. 000? On average, it needs paint, floors, and stainless appliances. That's our- Okay. That's our- that's Relatively appliance. light lift. You know, $2,000, that's a, that's a relatively light lift. And for a hundred bucks or 150 bucks, it's a really great return. Yeah. So we had some that were at, you know, somebody was paying 725. We did the renovation. It cost us 1500 bucks. Now they're at 855. That's, That's awesome. not a bad way to go. That's yeah. not a bad way to go. And then I think, I think um, as we increase, as we get our culture in there, that's another thing about multifamily that I never heard anybody talk about and I never really considered, but there's a culture of these properties and yes. it stems from how you manage them. And so once yes. I fixed the culture of the 24 unit place started running good. Once I'm, I'm, I'm working on fixing the culture in this place, and I believe it will um, run better. I believe those 850 rents will go to 900 for the three bedrooms. All right, let's. We're going to stop right there and dig in on this because uh, I I love this topic and and we talk about it a lot. I talk about it a lot just uh, with my property managers and and you know I use the term community. But t- tell me, what does that mean? What is multifamily? What is a property culture and and how do you change it? So on the 24 unit, I had drug dealers. Now I'm not. I support entrepreneurs. Of all okay, kinds. fair enough. But 
you have to do it. You can't do it at my property uh, at 2 a.m. You can't break into places. You can't bring guns around. You can't do those things and sell drugs. You have to like, uh, you have to do it. You, we, I, what, why I, only, I only support white collar drug sales, right? <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> okay, okay. So, um, so I have, I have, you know, knuckleheads hanging out on the property. Mm-hmm. And uh, you evict one. And then it's like, well, it, the problem wasn't one. The problem is the culture. And the problem is like three, four people. So you evict one, you know, well, now the, that one's coming back all the time to hang out at the other one. So then you got to evict that second one. Okay, now you got to evict the third one. And now you got to evict the fourth one. And so that took me a few months because I didn't really realize what the problem was until I started like, oh, we got to get rid of everybody. So I got rid of four or five people out of 24, which is a, which is a chunk of yeah. pain. And then, um, well, and then they're breaking in at night to squat. So I'm now I'm fixing doors. And, yeah. um, and now, so what I did was I, uh, I coordinated a, um, I coordinated a bunch of new people to all move in at the same time. So okay. then like the next time all these knuckleheads try to come back Friday night, uh, first I had somebody parked out there to see. So the, the first two nights that the people moved in, we had somebody out there just to like, just a friend of yours or an officer. Yeah, yeah. No, just a friend. I tried okay. to email the sheriff, but uh, I tried to go to the sheriff's office, but they closed COVID and I tried to email the sheriff uh, a year while back and I couldn't get anybody to respond. So okay. um, I just had somebody out there to be like, uh, you know, somebody on our side. So if the tenants have a problem, we're like there. So, yeah. but no problems. So I just had somebody out there. I had everybody move in. So like if anybody came by on Friday or Saturday nights, like there's all new tenants there now. So I coordinated it. We had a bunch of, we had to say like four, three, four people move in all at once in this little corner. And since then it's been, it's been 90 days now. I've had zero problems. I have great paying tenants. They all like us. Um, we're in really good shape. So that the, what I learned was in the beginning, you need to have a bunch of capital set aside. Anybody you think that's going to be a problem, you need to bounce them. In my opinion, anybody that yep. you think is going to be a problem, bounce them and then bounce their best friends. Like get rid of right. the culture. That's not, they're not going to change around you. So bring people in that know your style, what your expectations are, bring those people in right from the get go. I mean, I don't evict people um, cavalierly because this is people's homes. I take it very seriously, but also if you're going to be doing hooligan nonsense around my properties and then you're going to bring your friends and this and that, it's like, well, you've exceeded your welcome. By quite a bit. You got to go. Uh, absolutely. 100% agree. You know, on some of our projects, we've had some challenges here through COVID uh, because we cannot evict for non-payment of rent. We have had to get creative and, you know, catch them in doing something criminal. You can evict for criminal. You can evict for other lease violations. So, you know, just make sure you have a, a solid lease and and then enforce that lease. And, and that might be a way you can get some of these tenants out even through through COVID. So your new property, your 52 unit, you know, when you say we want to establish a culture, what are some of the things that that you're doing there? So I put in, that one has a little community area. So we have wash and dryer hookup, uh, wash and dryer for there. Uh, the, the three bedrooms have rent, have wash and dryer hookups, but the two bedrooms don't. So we got wash and dryers and we got a, a snack machine. So I loaded that snack machine up and they robbed it blind. Like the, I put it all, it was all on Instagram. On Instagram, yeah, I saw, I'm like, yo, I, I, got my, story, yeah. I got my first uh, vending machine. I loaded it up. I come You're back so the next proud. day. I come back the next day. It's like empty. What the heck? How many cheetah, how much money do we make? Nothing, nothing. So that's something I was like, okay, fine. Empty it. We'll figure it out later. I'm going to put some on YouTube. They teach you how to like, to, to, I, I'm, it's low on my priority list to be honest, but um, sure. But 
we, we're going through, we fixed the parking lot. So I think the biggest thing you can do, I mean, I'm just guessing, but the biggest thing that I can do is go there and make sure that the people know that I'm putting money to this place and I care. I fixed the parking lot all up because it was riddled with potholes. You, you went to the place, it was riddled with potholes. Mm-hmm. And so I fixed all the potholes. I didn't do a full reseal because it would have cost me $120,000 uh, and the parking lot was still healthy. So, but I fixed all mm-hmm. the potholes. The, the shutters, um, let me tell you something to your listeners, please, please do not do this. This is, I, I can't believe a bunch of, investor-minded, responsible adults did this, but they did this. They painted, it's seven buildings, this property. They painted all the shutters and doors of each building a different color. Now, like one of them's blue and one Mm -hmm. of them's purple and one of them's green and one of them's peach. And so like, that's all okay, except they didn't even do different color. Two of them are peach. So it's not (laughs) even like they're, they're one. And the greens are like really close to each other. So I said, look, this looks terrible. And it doesn't really work. So we went through and we painted all the shutters and the doors all matching. So it looks like a, like an adult designed it like a regular reasonable so, adult. So I can see the sort of mindset there. It's like, okay, we're going to have the blue building and the pink building and the red building and the white building. And so you can kind of differentiate and people maybe feel a little bit of pride that they live in the green building and, uh, and all of that. But uh, you're saying it just was not executed well. It looked really ugly. Like it did not look good. It looked really bad. And when you look at it, that the, the that idea, I get it. Like maybe if you put one little thing, maybe if you put the col- if you put the the numbers mm-hmm. in color, so you know, or, or whatever. Maybe you paint, you know, some little thing one color. I, I guess I, I understand that idea, but the execution was uh, pitifully bad. Yeah, terrible. So if bad. you're gonna swing and, and take a big swing on branding, uh, do it right. Consult with some some friends. Consult with Alex. See what he thinks you should do and uh, and and do it right. But cool, good good I, tip I do, on that. I, I yeah, I do audacious branding. You know, I paint yeah. the front doors my my flips bright pink. Like people tell me all the time, don't do that. And it's like okay, fine. But also, if they don't come out good, I will paint it another color. I'm not gonna own it and just be like, oh, it looks like shit. Now we're stuck with Man, it. Like, we already no. spent a few hundred bucks and let's just get leave a, it as is. Get a paintbrush. You're not done. Yeah. Right. So, right. Fair enough. Good uh, point. So, you know, I think culture is a, is a huge thing and I want to hammer that home a minute and everything that you said I, we, we do. And I a hundred percent agree with um, showing the tenants that you care in whatever way that means for your property will go a very, very long way especially if this property has high expenses and sort of mismanaged and you know, you're, you're going to have high expectations for the tenants. You, you know, you're saying you want to come in and get a hundred dollar or more rent bump, you know, tenants are going to talk and they're going to be ticked off. If you're just coming in to be a, you know, quote slumlord and, and raise the rents, they're, they're not going to put up with that and they're going to move out or they're going to be doing things on your property that you don't want happening. But if you want sort of the, the model tenant that's going to to love living there and be part of the community, then you've got to give them something. And that means taking care of work orders. And what we see all the time, there might be, you know, some number, whatever the number of average work orders open is, as soon as we come in and start taking care of the work orders, the total number of work orders quadruples, right? So like Diamond Ridge, we had like 70 work orders when we closed. We started taking care of like the first 20, 30 work orders in the first week all of a sudden we had 300 work orders because tenants talk and they realize that you're going to take care of these things. And so at one point it may not have been worth them even putting in the work order because the previous owner wasn't taking care of it and they didn't care. So they didn't even care to report the leaky faucet or the hole in the wall or whatever, the bugs coming in because they knew it wasn't going to get fixed. But as soon as they see 
that you're taking care of them, they are going to take care of you by reporting that work order. And, and now there's a bit of private ownership of the property and pride of renting at the property too. Yeah. And it, uh, I love that because it also opens up the communication between the tenant and the, and the property manager, which is always uh, difficult because people will have problems. They just won't say anything. And then they yeah. you know they, they move out or they leave or they go online and complain. And it's like, Oh, I didn't know. So yeah, go address those. We did like the first week we were just burning down work orders that have been sitting there. And uh, I don't know how many are in there now. In fact, I'm going to add it to my list after this podcast, uh, my monthly meeting with my, my partners. It'll be, I want to go through the work orders and be like, what's our, yeah. how many, how many do we have? And how many, how do many we are solve? open? And, how long are they sitting there as well? Yeah. So I like that. Yep. And uh, part of the culture too, is like finding out you have tenants that you'll never talk to because they don't care. And then you'll have tenants that want to talk to you every single day. And yes. so we're making, we're making friends with the tenants that talk to us every day and it's can be tedious because sometimes they just want to, sometimes they, sometimes they just want to talk to you. And then sometimes they duck do so with complaints, which is not fun, but they are your inside eyes and ears to these properties. And so they know everything that's happening. They will tell you about the leak upstairs. So that one tenant and their problem over here, and these two are in a fight and the cops got called on this or that, like they know all of it. And, and if you can buddy up with them, uh, then you get all the information you need about what's happening at your property. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. So, yep. Really good, really good stuff on community, on culture. I had not used the term culture, but you're absolutely right. And it starts with you. It starts with the ownership team, establishing that direction and investing in taking care of those things, investing in painting all the shutters and making this place look great, investing in filling up the potholes uh, you know, kudos to you and, and you recognize that and, and you will, you'll get all the rents that you need to get and, and your place will stay full and sticky as you, as you said at the beginning, right? Because your tenants are going to stick to you if, uh, if you're taking care of them. Uh, you said and, uh, before we signage. came on air, no, go ahead. And new signage. Use new signage. Absolutely. <laughs> did you change the name or just new signage? Change the name. You did. Tell me yeah. about that. Why would you change the name of your property? Uh, new ownership. Yeah. To me, it makes, I don't, I can't articulate it, I suppose, but um, new ownership uh, sh shows that we are changing things to the tenants that live there shows that we're changing things maybe to the tenants who used to live there or might, you know, people who, in the community who know that as something it's like, well, now it's something new. So it kind of puts the, it puts the, um, the idea of the place it gets, it starts with us. So at least now, yeah. Hey, if we get a bad reputation, now it's ours, but if we have a good reputation, it's ours, not just, Yep. Oh, that place did something else, whatever. Um, Every property has a but, reputation. People know it. They talk about it. So. We start over on Google. We start over on um, apartments.com. We, we start over. So to me, that's, I don't know what the old tenants did. Don't care. Don't want uh, old land, uh, property owners. I don't, don't care. Don't want to know. Uh, I want this kind of started on my, my fresh terms. And then it updates, it gets us a chance to update the signage and make it look like, um, Hey, look, this place, this place is clean and new and, yeah. and looks- I love it. All right, we're pushing so, on time, but I do want to take a few minutes here before the end, because you said before we got started, before we came on the air, that you had some questions for me that you thought the audience might might benefit from. So you want to get into that? I want to sell my 24 unit, I think. Okay, so so now the work is done. You've turned it around, you've changed the culture. Now you want to sell it. I've turned it around. The place is running really good. Um, I want to sell it. Yep. All right. What am I going to cost? What's it going to cost me to sell? All right. What's it going to cost? What's it going to cost a broker? That's what I, that's what I'm asking. What's the, what am I going to, what's a broker fee? What's a reasonable broker fee? 
the answer is whatever you negotiate. Um, it totally depends on property size. My guess is on 24 units, you're probably going to be in the 3% range, maybe a little bit higher. Okay. Uh, because it's yep. still a smaller multifamily. Um, the, the, okay. so I'm, I'm selling my 41 unit right now. Might be news to our, our listeners, um, but we'll be doing podcasts about that pretty soon. But uh, our fee on that is 3%. Now the broker started at five and a half. That was what they asked for. And uh, I basically just negotiated them down uh, to the point where, where I said, look, it's 3%, take it or leave it. Uh, there's plenty of brokers in town that will take that fee. And they agreed to it. So you just need to start talking to some brokers. I'm assuming you want to list it and not do an off-market deal. And I'm so gonna list you it. I got, I got talk to as many as you can. I got somebody who's going to sell it for 4%. Okay. Which I think, which I think, I don't think that's unreasonable. You might be able to get them to three and a half, but four, four is a good price. Okay. What do you think Uh, the price will end up being? Like what's your strike price? I need to sell, I need to sell it at 1.6. Okay. Which I think the market will bear right now. Okay. Uh, And it's, it's in way better shape than it's, it's, it's running. We're, we made, we're making, we're having a good year now. So, um, so that's 66 a door, 66, 666 per door. Yep. And it's all All rented it. Six, uh, it's rental. The rents are a little bit below six hundred, right around six hundred. Okay, okay, all right. So you know what so you I, need to I, hit. That's your strike price. I think I would, one point six. I think I would. T- I think I would take one point five. Okay, and you've done the math. You know what that would mean for you, for your investors, for your partners, all of that. Um, sure. <laughs> well, you should if you haven't put a little spreadsheet together. That you know, uh, it's very easy, right? Uh, Sell price minus your loan minus the fees you owe minus. Uh, their initial investment, and now we're left with you know what's what's left. Our projections were 1.6 million in 2024. Okay, so if I can get 1.6 net now. I mean, I'm doing very very well by my investors. I think I would take 1.5, um, but yeah, I haven't done Great. the math to know what everybody's going to make, but I know it'll be uh, positive profit. <laughs> All right, fair yeah. enough. So, so what's your question? That was it. What's a fair? What's it. a fair? What's fair. a fair broker fee for yeah. uh, for a sale? Listen, we are um, on a larger deal that we're working on selling. Our fee is in begins with a one, right? It's somewhere in the one to two percent range. On on smaller deals, the smaller the deal is, the higher the percentage rate you're going to have to go with, right? Because if you're talking about a fifteen million dollar deal, that one percent is pretty significant. Uh, if you're talking about a one million dollar deal, yeah, you've got to go with that three or four percent rate because there's just not there's still work that the broker is going to be doing for you. So you've already selected uh, the broker. You've already you know this broker already. And uh, have you started talking about marketing timeline um, projects you they think you should do before you sell? Yeah, we talked about a lot of that. I mean, the the place is good as is. We we tightened it up pretty well. Uh, I did okay. signage on that place. We've we redid the parking lot. We did the we redid a lot of the drive walkways. Uh, we fixed a lot of the plumbing underneath. We did a lot of deferred maintenance. Uh, and there's still room to raise the rent. So we left a little bit of meat on the bone. Well, so that's what, um, that was my next question for you is what is the value proposition to the next buyer? Who, what is that buyer going to be able to do with this property? Raise rents, reduce expenses, or just, is it just a turnkey sitting in cash flow? It's mostly turnkey. There is an opportunity to raise rents probably, probably 40 to $50 per unit. And there's definitely some area that you could do. Somebody could go on there and build a little, what I would do is if I kept it is probably build a little, a building in between the there's like basically two sections in between is some some open land i build a storage in there that's what i think that's what i think okay. our tenants would want that's what i think the the value is 
the marketing piece from the broker is basically already done. Um, it's a newer broker, which does not please me, but she's been very aggressive with me. And so it kind of, you know, she, she saw the opportunity, she moved on it. She convinced me if I get my number, then I think she definitely deserves her, her rate. And I think it's just a testament to anybody in this world who's proactive about what they want with me. They usually get it because so few people, you know, like I have opportunities that show up sometimes for podcasting or other stuff. And I ask, and like most people don't say anything. And the few people that like, yeah, I want that. They usually get it because so many people just never say, yeah, I want that. I want that opportunity. And so she came around, she came to me and she's like, I can sell that property for you if you want to sell it and I can sell it for this. And I'm like, yes, yes. Yeah, I'll give you, I'll <laughs> I love that. Rate. I love that. And you know, the lesson that I'm taking from you saying that is know what you want too, because so often people will say, how can I help you? Or what do you need? Or, or whatever. If you don't have a good answer for them or you don't know what you need, you know, going back to your initial point, I need a 50 unit in Fayetteville, right? That's rents between this rents, you know, with this opportunity, you know, you knew exactly what you wanted and needed and, and you asked for it. And guess what? You got it. So uh, great lesson there. Yeah. People, uh, I did this, my blog too. Like, uh, I haven't been doing it very recently, but usually what I'll do with my blogs, I'll do like monthly or quarterly, maybe sometimes just yearly, but usually I do quarterly blogs. And at the end, it's like, here's what I need. Here's what I'm working on next. And here's how you can help because mm-hmm. people look, they might, I'm sure Justin, they come to you every day and they're like, how can I add value? And so if you have a list of tasks, you're like, I need help with YouTube. I need help with social media. I need help with finding deals, acquisitions. I need help with light underwriting. I need help with these things Then people, then you know how people can fit in. But if you're like, yeah. I don't know how you could possibly help. And it's like, well, you guys, you have two people with resources that don't know what to do with them. So I, I actually take a slightly different view on this than, than what you just said. I, I agree. Everyone should know what they need. Um, and, and that, but if you are giving advice to someone that wants to help you, Alex, right. Wouldn't it be much more beneficial if, let's say there's a newer investor in Fayetteville, they want to get into multifamily, they see this awesome stuff you're doing with your properties there, and they just walk up to you and say, hey, I'm John, and uh, let me know if you ever need anything, right? Is that helpful to you? Or would it be a lot more helpful if they get to know you and they say, Alex, I see that you're struggling with this, or I see that there's an opportunity on your 52 unit to you know, market differently to, to tenants. And I'm an expert in that. So let me help you by doing A, B, C, X, Y, Z. And this is how I'm going to add value to your business. And so my advice for people that want to, you know, learn from Alex or me or anyone else is to see where there's an opportunity and bring your skill set to that opportunity. What do you think? 100%. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I, so uh, I do this with people all the time on my camera, right? So like uh, right now, uh, this, this internet fad is not going away. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> Right. And so everybody, everybody wants to be a, they want good pictures and videos of them. Well, I have a, I have a distinct advantage there. And so I don't go to people and be like, Hey, what kind of photo shoot do you need? Or what do you need for this? What do you, I'm like, no, Matt, Justin, I'm going to meet you in Winston-Salem. I'm going to do a video for you. No, you don't know what it's going to be. I know what it's going to be. I know what I can do. Don't get, you don't need to give me any money. Just here you go. Here's this thing that you might find a tremendous amount of value in. And just here it is. And then guess what? You know, the next time you go do a deal, my hope is you'll call me and say, hey, can we have that thing again? And the next time it costs way more. <laughs> right? <laughs> next time you're going to charge us. I get it. But look, uh, everybody should, now- Legitimate value there. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody has a skill, whether it's like, you know, I got a girl who's helped me run my, my Sunday morning meetings now. And she's just like, helped me with the organization. And like, dude, she's going to see me every Sunday now. She's going to get in the end. She's going to meet all these people. She's going to get mad value just by- Showing up, writing down names, doing name tags, taking some email addresses down, helping us with, uh, you know, setting up. So 
everybody has ways that you, know, you can help them. You have to do what Justin said, go there, look at them and say, you know, you can go to them and say, Hey, how can I help you? And they're going to say, I don't know. And then the conversation's over. Right. Or you can look at them and say, what are they trying to do? Where are they missing? How does it fit my skill sets? And then what am I willing to just go off and do without serve without expectation? That once you get in now, if you don't want to have a long-term relationship, if you're just trying to make a quick buck, none of this works. But right. like just said, if you want to go there and be like, Hey, I want to be in this guy's circle, then just go and spend time being in that person's circle, add the value, add value. And I, I mean, that's a perfect example for, for, you know, when you came to visit us in Winston-Salem and you wanted, you were helping us with that video, which came out awesome. Uh, you did not know that our broker was going to be there that day who also had a 52 unit that he was just about to bring on the market, right? You didn't wake up that morning and say, I'm going to go help Matt and Justin so that I can buy a 52 unit, but you put it out there in the universe and and you're adding value and things tend to come back to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. hundred percent. And like I said, you know, my hope is anybody else who wants to raise money in the North South Carolina area and wants to do multifamily and wants a primo promo video, Justin sends me videos that other people try to do what I do that he sends them to me uh, occasionally. And I sent you one. Yeah. Sent, you sent one today and you sent them in the past and none of them have come even close to as good as mine are. No way. And I'm not even being no arrogant. That's just, no. that's just a fact. There's and a quality so there that? that's missing. You call Alex Felice, I can help you raise, raise money. It's a little hard right now because it seems like raising money is like the easiest Sounds like it seems like nobody has any problems raising money right now. So I'm struggling with it. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I love doing, I love helping you guys. Cause we always get to, um, it just, it, it compounds our friendship, you know, and then next thing we, we can do something else together. We add value to each other. That's, that's what we do. We just keep adding value. All right, Alex, where you mentioned the website broke is a choice. Where else can people hear more about you? Find out more about what you have going on. My Instagram is Alex Scott Felice. My Facebook is Alexander Scott Felice. And I co-host the Military to Millionaire podcast with David Perret, which has uh, been a fun little journey for the last year and a half. So you can check me out there. Awesome. All right. Before we go, oh, last question. Oh, 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 what else? Oh, what do you bigger got? Pockets. Bigger Pockets YouTube <laughs> has a show called Meet the Investors that I've sunk my heart and soul into. Two seasons are out. The third one's going to be coming out in a few weeks. Check that out. Love it. Really great. Really awesome. Be highlighting uh, a lot of awesome investors there. Um, all right, Alex, we are going to end. This is not something we had the last time you were on the show, but lately we've been asking people for their true multifamily tip. So someone comes to you, Alex, I want to do what you do. I want to get into multifamily investing. What is your true multifamily tip for them? 100% of your social circle should be buying multifamilies bigger than yours, bigger than you. When 100% of your, of your social circle is buying multifamily, then you will be able to do it. No problem. Love it. Surround yourself by people that are doing what you want to do, right? I mean, that's- It's literally that easy. Advice. <laughs> Real estate is easy, it's, right? It's so easy. Yeah, it's so easy. <laughs> Alex, and thank it, you for coming on the show. Do this. What? I'm proof. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I wasn't going to say it, but you said it. I'll leave it on that. <laughs> Alex, thanks for coming on the show, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community, and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily. I'm really, really proud to have this show produced by our company, On Air Brands. Check us out at onairbrands.com. We also have an incredible, unique podcasting event that we would love for you to be a part of. Check that out at podmax.co.